Uh, Acts chapter 9, 1 through 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if, found, if any found there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Well, good morning again, Providence, and thanks so much. I should say thanks so much for having uh, myself and, and our family here this morning. It is my privilege to open this part of God's Word with you. Um, if you do have your Bibles there, please do keep them open, uh, because we'll be looking uh, not only up to uh, verse 9 today, but actually all the way up to verse 22. Um, but up to verse 9, that reading that we just heard um, gets us excited for this story, hopefully. Before we uh, begin, though, let me pray for us. Uh, so bow with me and let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we, we thank you for your word, that every time we open it and read it, you speak to us. Father, help us to have, have ears to listen this morning, and help us to trust that your word is true. We pray that you would reveal uh, more of who you are, who your son Jesus is, and more of who we are before you this morning as we unpack this part of your word, and we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Recently, um, my wife Lauren and I, we watched uh, The Amazing Race Australia. And if you've ever watched the show, you'll, you'll know that the contestants are on one heck of a journey, aren't they? Uh, they're on the road to something better. And what I love about watching The Amazing Race is seeing how much this road or this journey changes the people who are on it. They, they all get to see things and do things that they've never seen or done before. And they're changed and pushed in all kinds of ways. Their whole lives are changed by the experience. This kind of show makes for good TV, doesn't it? Because uh, not only do we love watching other people uh, experience these life-changing moments, but, but we love to imagine ourselves in their shoes, don't we? I can't tell you how many times I turned to Lauren and I was just like, man, that's so cool. I wish I was doing what they are doing right now. We love to imagine ourselves in their shoes, don't we? Because in some way or another, there's something about ourselves that we want to change, isn't there? None of us are 100% happy with who we are. It's a very normal human desire to want to change. But where do we need to go to find real, lasting change? Does being on the amazing race for a season, or on any journey for that matter, actually bring about real, lasting change? Or do we need to be looking somewhere else? Well, that's the question that we're faced with today as we read this story in Acts chapter 9. Now, I'm a, very, I'm a very visual person and I love movies, so I picture what's going on here in this story as if it were scenes from a movie. And there's kind of three big scenes that are going on in this story. What are they? Well, the first scene starts in verse 1, where we get to know this guy named Saul. And this would be a pretty dark scene, wouldn't it? 
Because Saul's a real shady character here. I mean, just before this, in chapter 8, verse 1, we're told that Saul approved of one of Jesus' disciples, a man named Stephen. Saul approved of Stephen being stoned to death. And then straight after that, in chapter 8, verse 3, it says that Saul began to destroy the church. Destroy the church. He was going um, from house to house, dragging off men and women in the church and putting them in prison. And then here in chapter 9, verse 1, we're told that he's still breathing out murderous threats against Jesus' disciples. Saul's a real shady character, isn't he? And I can picture him here stepping into a dark room. There's just a few flickering candles on the, on the walls around him. Ominous music rises in the background as he goes up to the high priest, a real power figure in Jerusalem at the time. There's no doubt other prominent men in that room with that high priest. This is a real power move from Saul. Saul then asks the high priest for, for letters to give to the Jewish synagogues in, in Damascus. That's, that's the meeting place of the Jews. See, these letters will give Saul permission to drag off anyone who's claiming to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. It'll give him permission to, uh, to drag them and bring them back to Jerusalem, to the capital, because that's where they'll be punished the worst. And you can see a menacing grin spread across Saul's face as he's handed these letters, can't you? All power has now been transferred to him. The high priest is now backing him. Saul's now a powerful weapon against Christians, and there's nothing the Christians will be able to do if Saul finds them in Damascus. But the worst part is that Saul thinks he's serving God. He thinks he's serving God by going and rounding up the Christians and throwing them in prison. It's like, dude, are you blind? Don't you see how this is the opposite of what God wants you to be doing? It's like as if God wants you thinking murderous thoughts and murderous threats about other people. Look at how dark and twisted your heart is, Saul. This week, uh, we, we, we watched uh, The Lion King as a family. You know how Scar, he's just out to get power, become the next king no matter what it takes. He doesn't care who he might hurt along the way. He's a mean dude with nasty tricks up his sleeve, just wanting to get rid of the good guys so that he can have all the power. Well, Saul in this story is a little bit like Scar, except this isn't a, a cartoon about lions. No, this is a real story about a real man with real power. And he thinks that nothing can stand in his way. And then we see from verse 3 that this Saul, the most powerful and threatening Jew in the land, is now on his way to Damascus to put an end to the Christian movement. What's going to happen when he gets there? Well, suddenly, in the story, we see a light flashes around him on his way to Damascus. And Saul, he falls to the ground and this voice says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. See, suddenly the most powerful and threatening Jew in the land is robbed of his power. And he's stopped in his tracks. Jesus has stepped in. He's the boss here. And Saul's powerless in his presence. And suddenly Saul realizes that all the rumors are true. Jesus really did come back to life after death. Jesus really is the Son of God and Jesus really is the most powerful man in existence. And Saul's actions against the Christians 
And we see that they've, they've been a personal attack against Jesus. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And so just like that, in blazing light and power, the risen King Jesus has got Saul in the dirt and on his face. It's an incredible scene. And you can imagine how Saul must be fearing for his life right now. It's pretty obvious that the author wants us to see that Saul's not a good guy in this story. This guy needs to seriously change his ways, doesn't he? But there's something about how this scene's written and, 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 and how it's put together where we're not really meant to hate Saul, are we? We're not really meant to hate him. We're almost meant to feel sorry for him. He's almost a likable bad guy. But why do you think that is? Do you think maybe it's because it's Saul reminds us a bit of, our, of ourselves? His character here, it's a bit of a mirror for us, isn't it? I mean, you might not be a murderer at heart, but there's a darkness inside Saul that you can relate to. There's enough of a disrespect for God in your heart that would absolutely cause you to fall on your knees if Jesus appeared to you like this. Saul's relatable here, isn't he? I mean, often we're, we're quick to judge him, quick to point the finger at him for who he is, but when we actually stop and realize that our hearts are just as capable of rejecting God and just as capable of thinking we're serving God when actually we're opposing his ways, suddenly we've become blind to our own darkness and Saul becomes a relatable character, a mirror for who we are. And just like that, or just like Saul, we see that our ways come up against Jesus. So what is this all-powerful, risen King Jesus going to do to people like Saul and to people like us? How is Jesus going to react to the fact that, that we've been disrespecting God, blinded by the darkness in our hearts? Surely we're done for. Surely Saul's life is over at this moment. But then we see the unexpected happens. Jesus doesn't destroy Saul with all his power, but instead he says to him in verse 6, get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Now, Jesus here is he's giving Saul a second chance. It's as if he's willing to just forgive and forget all the horrible things that Saul's been doing. I mean, is that really what Jesus is doing here? Can Jesus really do that? Well, it looks like he can. But before Saul can leave, Jesus wants to teach this guy a bit of a lesson. He wants to show Saul how the darkness in his heart has blinded him and led him astray. And so in verses 8 and 9, we see that Jesus causes Saul to literally go blind for three whole days. I mean, this is an incredible first scene, isn't it? It's a supernatural event. I mean, far out. First, a light from heaven flashes around Saul, and then this Jesus' voice starts speaking to him, and now Saul goes blind. He's just plunged into darkness without any warning at all. I mean, how would you feel if that was you? How would that make you feel? What thoughts would you have if you were suddenly blinded for three days? No wonder Saul doesn't eat or drink anything afterwards. 
going blind or being plunged into darkness like that would be terrifying. Where I grew up, uh, we got a lot of thunderstorms over summer that were pretty severe, pretty scary, especially when you're a kid. You know what made these storms even scarier was, was when we'd suddenly lose power to the house. Like we'd be sitting there at dinner as a family, watching a movie after dinner, and suddenly there'd be a flash of light and all the power would just go out. All the lights, the TV, everything would just go black and we'd be plunged into darkness, completely unexpected. And as a kid, that feeling is pretty scary. How much scarier do you reckon this must be for Saul? He's got no idea this is coming. And he's, suddenly he's plunged into darkness with no idea how long this blindness will last. As far as Saul knows, this could be for the rest of his life. It'll be a terrifying experience. Jesus has completely left him powerless. What could possibly happen next? Well, from verse 10, the story changes pace as we enter into scene 2. We're now in Damascus, in verse 10, and, and we're with a disciple of Jesus named Ananias. Ananias. And, and we're, now, we're not told of this guy if, he, if he's awake or if he's asleep, but, but either way, Jesus calls to him in a vision. That's right, the, the, the supernatural, it's not over yet. Ananias calls Jesus. Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So Jesus is asking here, he's asking Ananias, you know, the, the Christian Ananias, to go and help this guy Saul. You know, the, the, the Saul who's been attacking Christians? I mean, how would you respond if you were Ananias right now? Ananias isn't going to want to help someone who's been trying to attack Christians, attack his own people. And that's exactly how Ananias responds to Jesus from verse 13. Lord, he says, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest, arrest all who call on your name. Ananias isn't too keen on Jesus' plan to help this Saul guy out. But, but Jesus knows Ananias' heart. He knows how he's feeling about it all. And so he says to him from verse 15, Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to pro proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? Not only was Saul given a second chance, but God actually wants to use this Saul guy in telling both Jews and non-Jews about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. God's actually transforming Saul into becoming one of the people that, that Saul hated most. He's transforming him to become a Christian. You could say that, that the hunter in this story has now become the hunted. Because no longer will Saul be persecuting the church, but he'll now belong to the church. No longer will he be fighting against Jesus' disciples, but he'll actually be fighting with them. It's an incredible role reversal. But we see that this role reversal will come at a cost. It'll cost Saul his life. As Jesus says here, Saul must suffer for the name of Jesus. I can kind of picture Ananias at this point. Uh, 
smiling to himself at those words. You know, after everything Saul's been putting the Christians through, maybe, maybe some suffering wouldn't be so bad for him. Then the very next thing that we see in this scene is almost as miraculous as the stuff that's happened before. Because Ananias just simply trusts in Jesus' words. He gets up, he goes to the house where Saul is, and he puts his hand on Saul and calls him a brother. Brother. I mean, up to this point, Saul's been the biggest enemy to the church, and yet Ananias is willing to show him love and acceptance. And why not? He knows Saul's now part of the family, part of God's family, because Ananias knows that Jesus has already accepted Saul as one of his own. So here Ananias does the same. Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, the Lord has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, wow. Isn't that incredible? Just like, like that, Saul is pulled out of the darkness. And we're told in verse 18 that something like scales immediately fall from his eyes and he can see again. If you've ever sat for hours through a blackout and then suddenly the power turns back on, the lights, the lights all come back on, it's such a moment of relief, isn't it? But what Saul experiences here is a relief beyond comparison. His blindness is over. His days of darkness are forever behind him because the Holy Spirit has come to not only open his eyes physically but spiritually as well. Saul's now, now able to see the truth of who Jesus really is as his God, as his rescuer, as his brother. Saul's been pulled out of the darkness that was once his life, rescued by the God he once ignored. And he's been brought into the family of God where he'll never again walk blindly or live in darkness. And, and so to show that he now belongs to the family of God, to the church of Jesus Christ, Saul's baptized. He's got a new identity now. He's no longer one persecuting the people of God, but he's one who's been purchased by God. And so he spends the next few days with the other disciples in Damascus, eating and drinking with them, getting back his strength, and no doubt hearing all their stories about how God's been at work in their lives too. And so this story then finishes with one final scene. And in scene 3, which starts in verse 20, Saul's now preaching to the Jews, all about how Jesus is the Son of God. And did you notice in verse 20... Have a look at verse 20. Did you notice there where Saul is preaching? That's right. He's preaching in the synagogue, in the meeting place of the Jews. This was going to be the place where, where he'd bring the letters from the high priest, giving them a message, allowing him to drag the Christians away to prison. And instead, he's here as a Christian, giving them a very different message. He's now telling them the good news of Jesus. That Jesus really is the Son of God who died on the cross and rose back to life so that people like you and like me could become children of God. And then in verse 22, we see that Saul's become powerful again. But this time, his power hasn't come from a dark place in his heart. No, verse 22 says that Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus 
by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. He's now been given power by the Holy Spirit, the power of Jesus, to go and prove to the world that Jesus truly is the one who is all-powerful and who wants to use his power to rescue people like us. Because Saul has learnt that real lasting change only comes through the power of Jesus. Real lasting change only comes through the power of Jesus. He tasted it firsthand on the road to Damascus. And again, when he was welcomed into the family of God, Saul's experience that real lasting change only comes through the power of Jesus. And now he wants to tell everyone the good news. Because verse 22 isn't really the end of the story, is it? I mean, yeah, the, the scene ends, but the story continues. Because later in Acts, we're actually told that Saul, he changes his name to Paul. And this is the same Paul who writes Romans, the book that you've been looking at together as, as a church. He also writes so much more of, of the New Testament as well. And Paul becomes Jesus' instrument in proclaiming his name to the world, just as Jesus said he would back in verse 15. Paul makes it known to the world, the good news. The good news that if you're blind about knowing who God is and you have an unlovable darkness in your heart, Jesus is giving you a place in God's family. He's willing to forgive you. He died on the cross to show you how far he's willing to go for you. And he came back to life to show you that if he's got the power to defeat death, then he's got the power to change who you are. And so now we, we get to see what this life-changing moment for Paul has got to do with us. Because although we're not murderers and, and we're not wanting to kill Christians, we still, like Saul, have a darkness and blindness that we desperately need Jesus to fix. We're all guilty of ignoring God. We're all guilty of disrespecting God. We're all guilty of making selfish choices that don't actually honour God and that don't honour other people. We don't really deserve to have a relationship with God, do we? I mean, God's holy. He's holy, which means His choices are always good. His thoughts and actions are never evil. And he always does what is right. And people like Paul and people like us, we don't deserve to have a relationship with a God like this, do we? And yet Jesus shows us by the way he forgives Paul and gives him a place in God's family that there's, there's no one too evil, no one too broken and no one too far away from God that can't be forgiven and brought into the family of God through Jesus' death on the cross. He has the power to change even the worst of us and such a change can only come through the power of Jesus. And so this is the first thing that we should take away from today's story. That you're not too evil, too broken or too far away from God to be changed by the power of Jesus. You're not too evil, 
You're not too broken. You are not too far away from God to be changed by the power of Jesus. And so this then shows us the second thing that we need to take away today. That if if Jesus' power can change someone like Paul, the worst of sinners, as he describes himself, then we've got to see that Jesus' power isn't just, it's not just for those who grow up in Christian families. Jesus stepped into Paul's life and took a man who was bent on wanting to see Christians die and willingly brought him into his own family, into the family of God. And so this means that God can and he does show love and acceptance to the most unlikely people. And not only that, but he can and does work suddenly and unexpectedly. There was no long process of conversion for Saul, was there? This means that you don't need to despair you don't need to despair when you're, you're telling other people about this good news or when you're praying for those in your life to come to know Jesus because God might actually decide to work suddenly and unexpectedly and powerfully in their lives too. And I know this to be true because my conversion was like that. It was sudden and it was unexpected. I grew up hating church. And when I finished school, I strongly strongly decided that I wanted nothing to do with Christianity, especially Jesus. But when I was 22, a friend of mine invited me to come along to her church. And I reluctantly, reluctantly said yes. And I told myself that I was not doing this for me, I was doing this for her. The preacher got up and started teaching from the parable of the lost son in Luke 15. He began to explain how, like the son in the story, we've all turned our back on God. We've all run away from our heavenly father. That none of us deserve his love because we've all broken our relationship with him. And I knew that this is what I'd done. But he then started to talk about Jesus. And how Jesus came to earth to fix this relationship that we had broken. How Jesus died on the cross to pay for what we had done to God. And how Jesus rose back to life so that we could start living forever with God as our Father. There and then, tears rolling down my cheeks, I gave my life over to Jesus. Because I knew that Jesus had done it all for me. And I knew that real lasting change had come to me through the power of Jesus. It was sudden and it was unexpected. My friend had no idea that it would happen like that or that quickly. Jesus' power isn't just for those who grow up in Christian families. God can and he does show love and acceptance to the most unlikely people and sometimes he can work suddenly and unexpectedly. Let this truth this morning drive you to tell others about the good news of Jesus. And let this truth drive you to pray for those in your life, your family, your friends, your neighbours, your work colleagues, your, your fellow students, to pray for those people that they might come to know Jesus. Because there is no one, there is no one too unlikely for Jesus' power to change. Let's pray together this morning.
Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this, this story this morning from your word, from Acts 9, where we see Saul's conversion. A man who was so bent on wanting to, to kill Christians, be transformed by the power of Jesus and become a Christian. Become someone who put his trust in Jesus and saw Jesus firsthand. Father, we thank you so much for the work you've done in Saul's life. Um, as, as Paul uh, wrote so many letters and encouraged so many Christians um, all the way back then and even today continues through, through your word. His words continue to, to encourage Christians and, and bring people to faith in Jesus. But more than that, Father, we are so thankful and so, uh, and so in awe of the way that you work. Father, thank you that the power of Jesus can change even the worst of us. Lord, we thank you so much that in Jesus... We have one who has died and come back to life to show us that his power is an unstoppable power and that your power can change the unlikely sinner and that you work, Father. Thank you that you do work so unexpectedly at times. So we pray that this morning you would help us as we go out from here to, to share this good news of Jesus knowing that his power can change. And we pray as well that you would help us to pray for those in our lives to come to know Jesus and come to experience this power for themselves. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.